today, we are joined by John Grange, who is the co-founder and CTO at Ops Compass. Heads in the Cloud, with your hosts, David Portnowitz, John Roth, and Frederick Weiss. Welcome to today's episode of Heads in the Cloud. I'm David Portnowitz. And I'm John Roth. And today we are joined by John Grange, who is the co-founder and CTO at Ops Compass. John G, I'm going to have to be a little more specific here today because we got two Johns. Yeah, because I'm going to start answering his questions for him, <laughs> but please. I'll call you JR. How's that? That's good. All right. So, John, welcome to the pod. We appreciate you joining us today. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. And you are coming to us live from Omaha, Nebraska. Is that true? Live and uncut. Well, maybe by the time people are listening to this, a little bit cut, but we'll see. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I've never been to Nebraska. I don't think I've spent much time there. I'd like to go. I'd like to go to Omaha for good things. College World Series. Oh, yeah, uh, that's true. Meat. You know, there's, there's a few things going on. <laughs> are you yeah, a Cornhuskers meat. fan? Uh, I am, but boy, is it tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's some the bleak times right now. and uh, <sighs> Dark, dark times. Well, I guess if you're not an Alabama fan, then it's kind of dark times for everybody, right? I mean, like, what's, I don't know. I'm a Gator, so, you know, we, we have, we, our, our pinnacle is like trying to lose to Alabama. Like, we, that's like, that's like as good as we can get. It's like, how, how close can we keep the game with Alabama? So, anyways, I digress. So, John, you, um, like I said, co founder and CTO of Ops Compass. Tell us, uh, tell our listeners, tell us a little bit about Ops Compass. Um, what do you guys do? And uh, how did you end up there? Cool. So Ops Compass is a SaaS platform and we provide the kind of high-level marketing and high-level marketing speak. It's cloud management and security tools um, on a single unified platform. So our, our SaaS product helps customers do things like, you know, cloud asset management and discovery and cloud security posture management and people manage their attack surfaces. And we even do a lot of hybrid cloud kind of licensing management where customers are in those in-between phases between on-prem and the cloud, and they've got some licensing scenarios that can be pretty arduous. So it's a it's a complete tool set. We we got into we got into it from the security angle, um, building what at the time we never called it this. I'm still not sure how many people use the term, but cloud security posture management. Basically, we were we came into this saying, in the cloud, you got to have automated continuous ways to understand your configuration state and how it's changing because your network and all these things are defined as software. And if you know the state of all the configs, you can go a long way. Um, That's how we came to it. My background is a career entrepreneur. So I um, founded a a number of different software companies, but I originally got into this business uh, co-founding a hosting company in the early 2000s, kind of the web 2.0 era, um, where we specialize in hosting an open source web application framework that everybody was using to build, you know, websites and intranets and stuff. So I got a lot of experience learning about what uh, particularly, you know, mid to large size organizations need to do to move a public facing app that to somebody else's data center or somebody else's platform. And uh, honestly carried a lot of that insight forward when the cloud kind of became ubiquitous. It was obvious to me that like, I maybe didn't need to have a big knock or a sock staffed with a bunch of people to provide a lot of the value and guardrails and other things that we did as a hosting company, I could build software. So that's kind of how I ended up. uh, uh, And and we at Ops Compass ended up where we are now. So just for 
taking a step back, a customer that comes to you, what, what are their challenges and what are they looking for you specifically? What are they looking for Ops Compass to help them with? Because I think the idea of cloud security posture management or you know, the idea of um, continuous cloud native governance, those terms to me, like, I, I think let, let's, let's dive a little bit into like, what does that exactly mean to the customer? Like what, what, what are they coming to you looking for? What's their challenge and how do you help them? Sure. Just, yeah, you know, a concrete example is that we see a lot is there, your customers are trying to deal with complexity and maybe, you know, maybe not completely, but in, in, at least in some major sense, you know, multi-cloud complexity, they're having troubles with it. So you, oftentimes you'll have an organization that maybe they have a small Azure footprint that IT established because mm-hmm. they felt good with AD and they have some .NET development in-house, but a development team has an AWS app. And now they're supporting a little bit of AWS. And now there was some M&A activity and they acquired a company that has, let's say an even bigger AWS footprint. And now they're in this world where basic things like visibility, for instance, are a real challenge. Um, They have to worry about, you know, all these like credentials and and all sorts of different things that maybe weren't as big of a deal in kind of the the on-prem world. So kind of dealing with your existing on-prem infrastructure, dealing with these different clouds, um, it really kind of boils down to how do I get kind of visibility amongst all this complexity and all these kind of moving parts? I think it's important to kind of differentiate you between, uh, I mean, you're competing against some big players out there that say they offer cybersecurity. So what does your company come in to do that would be a little bit different? How do you, how do you separate yourself from, uh, you know, the large players that you must compete against on a daily basis? Sure, that's a great question, and um, you're exactly right. We deal, we compete with, um, you know, Palo Alto and CrowdStrike in, in some sense, you know, not not completely because they sell everything, and that's actually the big differentiator. If uh, what, what we see with customers, and it's been validated, you know, there's a lot of a- analyst stuff out there to to solve some of these problems with multi-cloud and compl- all this complexity. Customers are are using best of breed tools. Um, these big, you know, these big companies with their platform where I can sell you a single piece of software that's going to solve all your problems. Well, it's going to solve some of them pretty well and others less well. Mm-hmm. And where we really excel is where, when it comes to your configuration, your configuration state, um, control plane activity, that's where a lot of the modern applications, that's where a lot of the, the action as, as it were is happening. Now the, uh, the types of services that don't necessarily need to be connected to a network where a lot of these big company tools operate. They maybe don't give you access to an operating system. And also they're heavy. Like one of the things with Ops Compass is it's cloud native. It takes 15 minutes to set up. You get a lot of value and a lot of data really fast and it's affordable. So we kind of fit into, we do the things we do really, really well. We're focused on the modern cloud use cases and we're focused on being best of breed because we're never going to be able to go and tell somebody that we're going to sell them a more complete platform than Palo Alto, but we can say, you know what, you're going to be able to do these critical things really, really well. And it's going to be so easy. You're going to love it. So for you, is a typical customer, is it, is it large enterprise? Is it midsize? Is it SMB? Who who is a typical customer for Ops Compass? It tends to be a little bit uh, larger. We like to say kind of the high end of the mid-market and the low end of enterprise. The big thing, the big driver for whether you need Ops Compass is, is how much cloud are you using mm. and how quickly is your cloud growing? 
even a, a, a fairly sizable cloud footprint that's kind of static and not a lot going on, it's not, that's not that hard to manage. What gets, where it starts to get very challenging is that, that scale and adding new services, adding new clouds and kind of keeping up with that. So a good, uh, our, when we prospect, it's, it's not always, you know, the size of the company, how many people work there, um, not always indicative of the opportunity. It's oftentimes like, how much do they have in the cloud? That must be hard to find. I mean, I, from a marketing standpoint, that's not, that can't be easy to find those kinds of prospects. Like how much, how much cloud are they using? I mean, or maybe are you looking at their tech stack and then kind of assuming that most of this is in the cloud now? And so is, is that, is that sort of your, your way of going, looking at, looking for new customers? Yeah. And also, you know, we, we, we all know how trends work and how yeah. um, fortune 2000 gets sold to. So, you know, even like Fortune 1000, all those companies have cloud strategies that have yeah. at least been baked out for a couple of years, even if they don't have like a ton in the cloud yet. Um, so there's, that's why we, that's why we, we do go after a lot of enterprises. They also have other problems like M&A, lots of multi-tenant issues, like those end up being good opportunities for us. Uh, but the other thing is, is we, we have to spend a lot of time with the, the big hyperscaler clouds. Um, yeah. If you think about it, a Microsoft named enterprise account we all know that Microsoft has been doing anything and everything to get them to use cloud. And we can get Intel about, you know, um, kind of what the strategy is. And so we, we work, we work those partner ecosystems um, to that extent as well. How do you, how do you go to market? What, what's your, what's your strategy and that, that customer that you want to go after just uh, is it social media? Is it uh, existing customers uh, tying in with them and, uh, what what's your method of uh, acquiring new clients? And, and just to add on to that, is it are you guys partner driven? Or are you doing direct sales? Like, what's your, is your go to market through like through the channel? Yeah, our model is definitely more of a direct kind of enterprise sales motion. Um, if you think about our our product portfolio, um, it's it all kind of indicates that the customer needs to have a lot of trust. Also, yeah. these problems are very thorny, and you cannot nobody on the planet has a piece of software that can solve all the details. A lot of the problems are people driven. So we also have a, a, a consulting services um, side of our business that we, we acquired um, about a year and a half ago. And so we do a kind of an enterprise direct go-to-market motion. Um, we, have a, we have services that drive product and product that drive services. And um, we're, we're trying, we're, we're working hard on growing our, our channel presence in our business. COVID disrupted a lot of things because it just impacted our ability to frankly go out and like meet, meet new people. And, yeah. you know, so you kind of have to, we, we kind of had to hunker down and work with the, the, what we have. And we've got some good channel business on our services side, and we're trying to grow the channel business on the product side now. So it sounds like a lot of your deals, a lot of your, your, your larger enterprise size deals are probably more custom projects that, that involve some level of professional services or sales or, or sales engineering support, because, you know, th there's, there's custom work to be done. Is that, is that the case or am I wrong? Um, no, that's the case, at least, uh, uh, at least partially, you know, the, the types of services that we do, a lot of times it's, we're not executing the project, but we're a, a part of the project and in the sense of planning or maybe executing certain parts of it. Um, but uh, the, the, the deal, the, the, the consulting services we have are really geared towards the, the products that we that we offer and having kind of a synergy there. So an example would be, you know, we might lead a pro, we might help with a project to, you know, take a, a on-prem data warehouse and move mm -hmm. it into an AWS 
uh, one of AWS's data services. And then part of that is cloud adoption and you've got to have kind of your tooling and your visibility and your governance and security and compliance and all that stuff in place. And we kind of have the tools for the management part of it. And then our services kind of help people get there in those scenarios. So that's kind of where, where the, the products and the services work together. Gotcha. Talk to us a little bit about the evolving challenges around cybersecurity. Um, obviously it's a hot button issue. Uh, we hear every day of, of a, a new breach. I just went with T-Mobile. What do they lose? Like 40 million records. I mean, I don't know, some, someone was yeah. hacked. Um, you know, what, what, what are you hearing from customers that you're talking to and, and how do you guys come in and help assist in that cybersecurity space? Sure. Well, customers are definitely, everybody's worried. Everybody's very worried. Um, they're concerned about what they don't know. Um, that's why we're seeing a lot more kind of momentum and customers really looking for um, basic visibility and to understand what's actually happening in their environment. Um, I think that also those unknowns are, are and combined with kind of DevSecOps and kind of the different operating models in the cloud, um, it's, it's, it's forcing customers to worry about things more holistically or to address things more holistically or address risk maybe more holistically is the better way to put it. So looking at, you know, and this kind of aligns with the Hops Compass vision, which was always that, look, we, we need to address misconfigurations. Misconfigurations can have a lot of different impacts. Like you can misconfigure something and it could cost the company $250,000 over the weekend. So you're saying um, that someone goes in with, with good intentions to configure a security protocol or to configure something, and then it's just out of lack of understanding or lack of knowledge of what else, what else is out there or you know, some kind of blind spot. They're configuring it wrong, and, and, but not, but you know, they're trying to do the right thing, but they're just not there yet. Is that, is that, that, that's that sort of what you're saying? The vast majority of these problems. So most breaches, cloud breaches are misconfigurations, like, like 98% of them. Um, that's like a Gartner statistic that we probably, I would not, I would not have guessed that. I would have just assumed they're just not configured. Like there's just something not there. Well, I mean, th so that's the thing, like these things are deployed with declarative templates. Like they something not there is a misconfiguration. So mm -hmm. that, what, what, we're, what we're seeing is these security and compliance groups are very, they think about risk. So they're like, we want to find things that are causing downtime, like downtime costs us money, a cloud service that was misconfigured and spending a quarter million dollars costs us money. This is real risk for the company, just like leaving, you know, a port open to the internet. Um, so that's the, it, and in the cloud, it's very hard to peel those things apart. You kind of need to be, uh, have a program for really understanding how you can find misconfigurations uh, more quickly. And it just so happens that in that space, the, or, or the space of misconfigurations that companies generally care the most about are the security ones, security and compliance related. But there's this whole other space of things that be, can be configured wrong that cause the company problems. And what I'm seeing is customers are definitely worried. Um, you know, we have our cloud breach report. So many companies that we all probably even on this call here buy from and everything else having just breaches from like compromised credentials and all sorts of different things. Um, and every, so everybody's, everybody's a little bit freaked out. But uh, I think that that move to um, thinking about risk more holistically, and um, I, I think that that plays a lot better with where companies are going from a development and application perspective, which is much more kind of uh, developer-driven collaboration between different, different teams and stakeholders in the organization. Um, so I, I have a generally kind of positive outlook on 
where things are going based off of what customers tell me, even though everybody's a little spooked. It's so fascinating. Would, 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 you, would you also say that, I mean, the majority of your clients coming your way are one that basically have done this misconfiguration, uh, missed their uh, setup, and they come to you to help kind of pull them out, uh, get, get them out of the deep water? Yeah, and that's what's hard about working with, you know, for, for, one, for the cloud security products, that's what's hard about customers that are new to the cloud. They actually can't wrap their head around how some of these things are going to be a problem. Like, mm-hmm. how am I not going to know that a database is, you know, open to the internet or they just can't. And all you have to do is go operate in the cloud for about a year and do some real stuff and have to really manage it. And um, like a mature customer is always way easier to demo to because they get they get what you're doing within the first five or 10 minutes and sometimes can think of ways to use the product, but that we haven't even thought of yet. But new customers are like, why would I need this? Yeah. Yeah, we have the same, we have similar, similar things on the UCAS side. It's like customers that come to us from a previous UCAS vendor that have already moved to the cloud, they get it right away. They're like, okay, I understand. And then customers that are on traditional PBX POTS lines that you know, I don't understand why I need all this collaboration stuff. What is this going to do? And it's like, okay, just yeah. So we 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 100% yeah. understand that that challenge yeah. of trying to educate the IT folks and the sales folks. And, and and different departments on like the value of using a service like ours, like like a cloud-based uh, phone service. So that that motion or that that notion to try to overcome that hesitancy to go to the cloud is certainly something that we we experience every day. And um, you know, so I a hundred percent feel your pain there. So let me ask you a question from a uh, <clears throat> corporate outlook: How many you, you have salespeople uh, that actually are out there, uh, you know, combing through and trying to find clients that have breaches or, uh, or are they calling you? What, what, what's the scenario? I mean, typically in an organization like us, we have salespeople, we have actually, we work through the channel. So we have partners that find clients, bring us over. We help them sell the opportunities. How is that? Uh, is that different in your world or you have salespeople that are out there um, basically getting you in touch because you're the, you're the genius of the group. I'm going to say that right now, John, just by the, just by the look on your face, you're absolute genius and you live in Omaha. So it goes at this. Double, that's, that's, double I thought that would be a knock against. Me. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, you so. don't understand. John, John's a big fan of steak. So he's, he's very, yeah, happy I'm a big, you know, big. Yeah. Uh, so tell me, do you, is that the way you operate? Do you have salespeople? Do you have a, I mean, how does it break up? Give me a percentage of salespeople versus engineers uh, versus uh, geniuses, which I'm sure there's more than one genius at your organization. Yeah, lots, lots of geniuses here. We know we, uh, so we're, we're a, a technology, you know, engineering heavy company, obviously, because we're a product organization primarily. Um, our sales team, gosh, I think we have five or six um, direct sellers that have territory and, you know, all that sort of thing. Again, that's important. This is relationship stuff. Can you know if you need to go? If somebody's spending four million dollars a year in the cloud, they're probably the type of organization that isn't going to just come off the internet and just connect up their kind of crown jewels to your your product and go. Yeah. So there kind of has to be a, a relationship there. We target verticals too. I mean, if you think about it, um, regulated industries are a natural. Um, you know, in healthcare. 
Uh, providers have been slow to move to the cloud and they're tough to work with, but like insurance providers, the data and the consumer, how that's become much more of a consumer touch uh, experience. Those companies are very innovative in the cloud and they all have serious problems with um, security and compliance and visibility because they have real stakes. Like they can, they can get nailed for HIPAA and, and it's a big yeah. problem. So, you know, we're doing a lot of those kind of traditional go-to-market tactics. Well, at the same time, we're trying to build a big inbound engine. We've got a free trial on opscompass.com and we've got, you know, online chat and we're, we're trying to do all those motions as well. But, you know, we just find that the, the direct sellers are the most effective. And then we also have um, a couple of folks in our, in our partner and alliance group that work with channel, but a lot of our kind of partner business comes from the cloud providers. You mentioned healthcare, and it was something I was going to ask you about around the vertical. You know, I feel like a lot of them have moved to the cloud since the start of the pandemic or have been forced to make decisions. Have, has that accelerated that side of the business for you, or are they still slow to adopt? Uh, healthcare is still slow to adopt. Like I said, the, you know, health insurance is sort of healthcare. It's quasi healthcare, but it's really yeah. not. Those insurance businesses are so data heavy. We're seeing more in like financial fintech. Part of the problem with healthcare providers is the EMR the electronic yeah. medical record or electronic health record is sort of the monolith of technology in that business. And you know, there's really not a lot to move to the cloud if you aren't moving your electronic health record. And there's one single company out there called Epic. I don't know if you guys are yeah. familiar with yep. Epic, but like, you know, if Epic had a cloud offering, there'd be a bunch of cloud stuff. I think they probably, I think they do. I think you can like run Epic now and eat it. I think they do have, have a cloud offering. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you don't see many people doing it. So the real opportunity is in these kind of, in my opinion, these provider adjacent um, firms that are using data and interacting with customers and have to have those types of technologies underlying it all that, that work best in the cloud. Do you deal a lot with like VDI type virtual desktop, you know, like around, you know, um, the Windows has a solution, Citrix, VMware, like, is that something that you guys play in that space a lot? Or is that customers who are virtual desktop, who, ha who have a lot of virtual desktop licenses? They Are they are they the typical kind of customer looking for you? Um, I, I wouldn't say typical, but I see a fair amount of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. I see a fair amount of it just because we work with Microsoft a lot. And, you know, a lot of Microsoft's um, biggest Azure opportunities have yeah. are people that are leveraging Dynamics and Microsoft 365, and they're using kind of virtual desktop solutions. Like as much as Microsoft would like you to buy theirs, they love when you go put a Citrix farm out in Azure because it takes a ton of VMs. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I hear you. You know, we, we've just seen an acceleration to the virtual desktop side, you know, with customers wanting to go do that during the pandemic and wanting to have be able to have security and governance and then be able to run their their applications remotely and such. So that, that's been a bigger push for us over the last 18 months or so. So I was wondering, just, just kind of curious if you're seeing the same kinds of things. Well, and the tech is so much better. And I've been yeah. wondering about that. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys probably know better than I do, but it's just, it feels like virtual desktop has always been one of those things that was like next year is going to be the year for- Yeah, it was always very clunky. Yeah. Kind of like Linux, like every, it was like Linux on the desktop, it's going to happen next year. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like the technology, like the, the orchestration and provisioning and the underlying VM and hypervisor technology and on um, you know, Azure in particular, because I've seen a lot of it, it's so much better. It seems like there's just a lot better of a solution for customers now. Yeah, we, you know, we play very nicely with the Citrix environment and we're, we're getting more involved in the Azure side. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's super 
it's very flexible now. It works great on lightweight devices. Um, it's, you know, it's great for that for a remote worker, for someone who, you know, if you want to cut down your hardware expenses, use Chromebooks, things like that. Um, so yeah, we've, we've, we've obviously seen an acceleration there. Um, so it's just, it's just interesting. Um, John, JR, you had a question? You know, there's a couple of things here going through your website. Data leakage. Give me an explanation. Of what that sounds like a personal leakage. problem, John. Well, it's, you know, there's, I get to be a certain age and I want to know. I mean, you'll understand this since you're of a certain age, John. Every Oh my God. All these, oh, you hit me. Oh, geez. Really? Well, we, okay, I didn't say what age. I didn't say, I didn't say what age. He was insinuating that you're over the age of 35. You're fine, John. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I am. I have socks. I have socks that age. So, so yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a lot of these terms, there's a lot of things that we give, have given new names that are essentially a term we've been using for a long time. And data leakage is more or less, you know, data exfiltration. And it's a big deal, uh, particularly on um, like Microsoft 365, because there's all sorts of ways that, you know, different users who have different permissions and different applications that they can use can have, you know, take information outside of the kind of perimeter that the company's established. Um, there's other things in the, you know, in Azure and AWS and GCP where, where you're, you're concerned about, you're managing sort of the different points where people, users could exfiltrate data, but I mean, that's generally data leakage. Okay. Um, retail organizations. So large retailers uh, come your way, PCI compliance, that always kind of comes into play. Can you give me an example of maybe some retailer that you've worked and helped through, you know, some of your product sets and, and what, what, you, what you offer that also, because you got to deal with the PCI compliance issue. Have you worked with some of those? Oh yeah. And, you know, if you look at the retail space, there's very much consolidation of, there's a couple of very large influential players that can impact kind of the ecosystem of other retailers. So one of the things about that space is um, it's a very, another data intensive environment, much like insurance and, and financial. So, you know, when it comes to like reporting on inventory on time and in full and all these different things, um, retailers have been savvy and pretty quick to recognize that they can get a lot of benefit from the cloud, um, the, the cloud data analytics solutions, um, building data lakes out in the cloud because they spend real money and do real hardware refreshes and have to have people that can in the expertise to spin all this stuff up. So, you know, one example of a, of a this was actually a consumer packaged goods um, company, but a major retailer that maybe we could all guess like the biggest retailer started mm -hmm. to have much, much um, more stringent reporting requirements on their vendors. And this consumer packaged good company was like one of like this retailer is their largest customer. Um, and they literally, they had no way to do it with their Oracle data warehouse in their data center. They actually had to move to um, like a Hadoop um, cluster environment. They eventually moved to Databricks, but they, uh, but these things, those are the types of solutions that, the, that, uh, that retailers typically want in the cloud. And then where we come in is we have all sorts of services and tools that help them, you know, figure out how much it's going to cost when they're there and move those databases and kind of plan that strategy and kind of have the security posture strategy when you get there and be able to report on the compliance metrics that you need to and all those sorts of things. 
isn't that even going to get more more lucrative in terms of the data from from on the retail side with like iot and like and like facial recognition and um you know all those things where retailers are wanting to know like how much time you're spending in their store what are you looking at like what kinds of what 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 products are you touching like i feel like the data from someone in the store is only going to get more complex i i just feel like this is a fascinating topic you're exactly right. And there's also areas though that are similar that aren't even that aren't as obvious as retail, but like you wouldn't believe how they're using technology. So like um, if you look at the Chicago in Chicago, there's all these like hundred year old manufacturing companies there in that market. And you think, what a terrible cloud market. And the reality is is the IoT solutions that these manufacturers are are implementing and construction companies and stuff like that. Those are other ones. We work with a number of those and they there's definitely kind of a old school mentality at the leadership level, but man, they're really pushing the envelope and, and doing interesting things with IOT and spending a lot of money in the cloud. We have one example I've heard around the construction side is like you renting a, a, a forklift and they, you previously you rented like by the day and if they put an IoT sensor on it, maybe you could rent it by number of times or the number of the, the weight that you've lifted or, um, you know, the number of times the lift goes up and down. Like you can then use those things and, and then, you know, squeeze an additional few dollars or say like, look, this is this is a more cost effective way for you to rent this machine if you're not using it as much like by the day. So I think, yeah, the IoT side is fascinating at the same time. We, you know, you mentioned like VDI. We've been hearing about IoT. IoT is going to re- revolution. You know, like, like when, like you know, it's kind of happening slowly. You know, kind of waiting for that like boom where you walk into a, uh, you know, I'm thinking like Minority Report where you walk into a mall and like you know, it's talking. You know, the the, the the everything's talking to you and it's sort of like it, it's customized to you. So I think you know we're we're we have a long way to go. And there's a lot of interesting developments that are going to happen. Um, but it's certainly a fascinating space, the retail space. And you think about the even from like grocery stores, supermarkets, think about what Amazon's doing with sort of their, um, their, you know, touch free, you know, you know, you don't have to, there's no, there's no red, you know, there's no cashier or whatever, you know, sort of like you pay on the app as you go into the, the store kind of thing. Um, you know, so it's just, it's just a fascinating space, but uh, John, listen, we, we're so grateful of your time today. You've been so generous. I could talk to you forever, but um, I want to turn it over to, to John Roth and say, John, I know you have, you have one final question. You always like to stump our guests, you know, don't be so mean to John, you know, get them all, you know, give him an easy one. So on a scale of one to 10, give him about an eight. <laughs> I've got different, I've got different questions. I can go any direction. I would say, I would go. say, I'd say, I'd say a seven and a half to an eight is fair. Okay. Okay. So, uh, John, my question is, if you could travel into space, who would you want to fly with? Bezos, Branson, or Musk? Branson, man. Why Branson? I mean, at that point, it's like sitting next to somebody on a plane. Like, you just want to sit next to somebody cool. And Branson just, he's the coolest of the three. Like, Bezos, I would definitely like to ask him some sort of questions. And I I think he's kind of a business genius. But like, gosh, going into space, that's a long flight. I'm not sure I want to, I want to share (laughs) an armrest with, uh, with Bezos. And like, Musk is a little weird. I just, I feel like that could... That yeah, there'd be a lot of, a there'd of probably be a lot of, yeah, a lot of smoke in the air up there. Yeah, Branson smuggles a flask in there. Like, he just seems a lot cooler. Plus, but, he's British. So, you just well, get the and, accent. And then, well, 
then we talk about Bezos. I, I, I for a second, I thought my someone come off the plane. When's the last time you had someone astronaut come off a plane with that hat on, and he still <laughs> wears the hat? So I think that he's a you know he's on the edge there as well. But here's the rest of the question. Oh, there's more. Yeah. Oh wait, there's but, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Would you sneak a sandwich on the plane? <laughs> Oh yeah, pizza sandwich. Okay, what kind of sandwich? I told. I already said I'm rolling with Branson because he's likely to sneak on a flask. So. Okay. What kind of sandwich? What kind of sandwich would you sneak on? Well, seeing as how I'm uh, chatting here live from Omaha, Nebraska, I'll go with a famous sandwich that was invented here in Omaha, the Reuben. Oh. Oh, that's a great. I didn't. I it's from Omaha. A, yes. That's perfect. The Reuben. Yes. I did not sandwich. realize that. Okay. Well, that has been awesome. That that I got to tell you, John, he knocked your questions out of the park, dude. Didn't I know. He? First he did. off, yeah, those are you, that was probably one of your best questions, John. By the way, that was a really good one. Um, well, you're but, you're welcome. That's why I'm here. I, I <laughs> I'm the one. I'm I'm at the end. I'm just kind of close things up with a a stupid question. So there no, that was go. a good one. I like that. I like I, I like it. the Branson answer too. And I that's the. The Ruben's a great, great response. I think it actually would travel well as well. I think it'd be all right on. I think it would be great. Yeah, it might it might smell up the area, but all right, that's all right. You'd be oh, yeah, all the right. sauerkraut preserves it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, John, it's been fascinating to to talk to you. Um, our partners, our customers, our listeners. Where can they go to find out more about Ops Compass and, and what you guys are up to? Uh, you can check us out at opscompass.com. We're on all of the social channels that you know and love. Um, you can. Yeah, or hate, probably hate, most likely. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to wade into the, the cesspool, you can uh, see me on Twitter at, at JM Grange on Twitter. And I talk about lots of different stuff, not necessarily just Ops Compass and cloud security stuff. Well, I'm definitely going to give you a follow. My Twitter is my jam, although it's a depressing, like you said, cesspool of craziness, but uh, it's, it, it's addictive. So I'll hit you up on there. You know what awesome, I, I got started into uh, just in, I just moved recently and now as far as I've gotten into the social media thing I'm, I'm of course on all of them but it's next door I'm trying to find out what restaurants are open past eight o'clock at night I moved to a smaller town so that that's my new social media next door it, you should follow best of next door on Twitter yeah, like, I was about to say next door is like where you go to find out the neighbors that you thought were otherwise mild-mannered nice people are totally insane <laughs> the best of the best it's like best of next door twitter is like they post like just like the most random stuff that people put on next door. it's hilarious people are just like like should i eat this sandwich yes or no <laughs> like that's what people post it's crazy i think it's great we, we've got somebody that's just a real radical in the group and she got booted from the neighborhood got booted off of next door and she's come back under an alias name. So it's, it's, just like a, it's like this little neighborhood squabble. And it's just, it's, it's, uh, it, that's great. It's hilarious to try, try to listen to watch people saying, I know that's you. And, uh, you know, we, we don't want to do that. And, and that's so anyway, I, I, I ramble. I'll stop John. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Hey, thank <laughs> you so much for having me. This was a blast. I loved it. Yeah, John, okay. thanks so much for coming. And uh, for Heads in the Cloud, David Portnowitz. I'm John Roth. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.